Thanks for joining us for Open Bible Online today. Open Bible Baptist Church has been in South Jersey for over 60 years. We love this community and we want to be a help to you. In order to help us help you in the best way possible, would you do us a favor? Please fill out the digital connection card posted in this link. Here you could post prayer requests and also ask any questions you may have about Open Bible. If you'd like to give today, you could give online in less than two minutes. Visit openbiblenj.org for more information. Thanks again for joining us today. Now enjoy the service. Well, that's the whole package kind of family, isn't it? All of them able to get up there and sing. We have a couple singers in our family, my wife and maybe some of our children, but I do not fall in that category, so I'm a little bit envious as I watch them up there, all seven of them singing as well as they did. Praise the Lord for that uh, wonderful song. My wife sometimes accuses me of having what they call husband hearing, and, uh, but I thought I heard some of you uh, cheer when we were talking about snow earlier, and I don't know who that was, uh, but I will pray for you. I'm not looking for any more snow. It's officially spring, and it should be no more snow. I guess you guys are probably more accustomed to snow this time of year than we are down in Virginia, but uh, nonetheless, looking forward to Easter, looking forward to spring, and a few less days of this cold weather we're having today. Uh, I'm glad to see each of you here tonight. I didn't run off too many people from this morning, so glad you're back with us this evening. We're going to look in Genesis chapter 37, so that's where we're going to start tonight. Hopefully you brought your Bible. We're going to be covering several chapters here in Genesis. Don't panic. We're not going to go verse by verse through them. I'm going to try to give you kind of a a life summary uh, of the book, or rather of the character of Joseph. Joseph is probably uh, one of my favorite Old Testament characters to look to and to study. And so we're going to look at a portion of his life tonight. As you make your way there to Genesis 37, we're going to begin here uh, in verse number five, and we'll read through verse number seven. I'll wait, give you a moment there to find your spots. I'll ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word. Genesis 37, we'll begin reading here in verse number 5. The Bible says, And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the time that we have to gather together tonight as your people in your house. We ask your hand of blessing this evening on the preaching of your word. We're thankful for the time we've already had uh, in song and praise tonight. And again, we ask that you would do a wonderful work this evening. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. I want to ask you a question tonight. I don't need you to respond verbally, but I do want you to think with me for just a moment. When have you been at your worst? What was it like? What was going on in your life? Think back for for just a moment. When when were you at your worst? When, When did your spouse, your siblings, your church members, your coworkers... Uh, When did they see you at your worst? What was going on in your life? When was this time? When was this season? Some of you might be thinking, boy, I'm just always this great. But in all reality, when have you been at your worst? 
when you're confronted with this version of you, we often see it as our flesh grasping for control. And in this moment, the worst vision version of us comes up. Now I want to ask you, when, when was the best version of you? When, when did your family, when did your spouse, when did your children, when did your fellow church members see the Beatitudes evident in your life? When did they see you exhibiting Christ-likeness the most? What was going on in your life? When was that? When was the last time they've seen that? In one position, we're in hostage to our flesh, right? In hostage to the fear, the anxiety, as, as flesh manifests itself in anger and disappointment and despair and fear, whatever the manifestation is in your particular life, we're, we're hostage to that in that moment, at least it seems that way. But in the other position, when we're at our best, I'm in the spirit of, of God's grace and His peace. I would submit to you tonight the, the difference is not in the circumstances of your life. I would imagine most of us, when we think about when I've been at my best and when I've been at my worst, often we associate that with the circumstances of our life, whether they were good or bad. Well, when I've been at my worst, that's when I lost my job, and in that same year I lost my mother, and and things were going wrong at home, and I was just struggling. But the difference is not the circumstances of your life, the difference is the condition of our heart. And where we are in our relationship with the Lord. When you're at your worst, you're not the byproduct of your circumstances. And when you're at the best, you are not the byproduct of your circumstances. I'm thankful for emotions, aren't you? We we look out on a day like today, we've had a little bit, a few moments of sunshine, but it's been a kind of a a gray day. Uh, You guys are a little further north than we are. You have a few more of those than we do. But what if every day were gray? That'd be kind of a sad life, wouldn't it? I know some preachers that are up in Connecticut, and it seems like it's that way all the time for them. But I I wouldn't do well in that scenario. If we had no emotions, we didn't have any, life would be pretty dull, wouldn't it? If If you could never experience any sorrow, you would never appreciate happiness. If you never experience any measure of grief... You, you wouldn't really appreciate joy, right? Life would, life would be rather dull, rather empty. But God has given us emotions. He hasn't given us those emotions to, to lead or to guide our life. But when we think about the emotion or when we think about the, the quality of joy, the Lord wants you to have that. He wants you to experience that. And the kind of joy that God longs for His children is not the kind of joy that is conditional upon circumstances being ideal. The kind of joy that the Lord wants His children to have and to experience is not based off our conditions, not based off our experiences. I grew up in Indiana, so I'm not accustomed to being around large bodies of water like you are here on the East Coast. Uh, But since living in Virginia the last six years, we've been around it a lot more, and sometimes when we've gone out with some friends that had boats, we've gone out, and we, I've seen these buoys way, way out in the water. Kind of fascinating to think about for a moment. Some of the buoys, especially the weather buoys that are out in the Pacific, in the Atlantic, I've been told they're anchored to the seafloor, and even in the worst of storms, they don't really move very far, they, as long as they're tethered, uh, they'll move to some extent, but ultimately they're, they're anchored to the seafloor. And when the worst of storms come, 
The waves may topple over top of these buoys, but what happens to the buoy when the water comes over top of it? It comes right back up, doesn't it? it it's buoyant. And, and this is the kind of life that, that Christ longs for us to have, that I'm not under the circumstances, but rather in Jesus Christ, what he longs for us to have is, is buoyancy. And so in my mind, at least it makes sense, I think of that imagery of a buoy out in the water. It's anchored, it's firm, it's not going to get tossed and, uh, all about the, the sea with the storms, but also when the waves come crashing down, it doesn't sink beneath the waves. It's buoyant. And that only happens as we have a close relationship with the Lord. How can I have that when, when life is difficult, when life is troubling, when life is hard? How can I have the kind of joy that we speak about here where it isn't conditional upon my circumstances? Well, we can have this as we are anchored ultimately in who Jesus Christ is. Tonight, the message is entitled, Anchored in His Attributes. And I want us to examine some of these attributes as we look at the life of Joseph. So number one tonight, we see as we look at the life of Joseph, the providential hand of God. Many of you are probably familiar with Joseph and his life. We've just read here in Genesis 37, verses 5 through 7, that Joseph has dreamed a dream. The Lord has instructed Joseph. He's told Joseph that one day I'm going to put you in an incredible position of power and authority and of influence. Of course, as Joseph, you know the story, as he relays this dream to his family that one day they'll be subject to him, they'll be in submission to him and as regards to authority. They don't take too kindly to this. So what does his family do? Look down with me, Genesis 37, verse number 23. Verse 23 says, And it came to pass when Joseph was coming to his brethren that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. And they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty, and there was no water in it. Again, many of you know the story as he, tells a, as he tells them the dream that jealousy begins to build and it comes to a head here. Eventually they rip the coat of many colors off of Joseph. They, they put him in a pit. They're going to leave him there to die. Now, I, I, I want you to think about, and again, try to imagine yourself in Joseph's shoes. What would be going through your mind in that moment? God, God has told you this is what's going to happen in your life. I'm going to put you in a position of authority of leadership, of influence, and, and your family especially will be in, subject to your authority, as will many others. How would you feel in that moment? They're in the pit. There's no water. What would be going through your mind? This continues on. They decide to not leave him there in the pit. What do they do? They sell him into slavery, right? If things wouldn't get any worse, now it seems they have, now he's going to be slave, probably for the rest of his life. How, how would he fulfill God's plan in that capacity and in that fashion? If you skip down with me to Genesis 39, let's look at verse 4 down to verse number 6. So fast forwarding a little bit, he's been sold into slavery. Now he's in Potiphar's home. Potiphar makes Joseph the head of the household, and on the account of Joseph, he began to prosper. Genesis 39, look with me down to verse number 4. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him. And he made him overseer over his house, and all that he had he put into his hand. And it came to pass from that time that he had made him overseer in his house, and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. Now, I, I, does that not convict you at all? 
Here's Joseph. He's been instructed. This is what God's plan is for his life. His brothers, out of just rage and jealousy, they throw him in a pit. And then they decide, let's make a little money off of him. They sell him into slavery. And what does Joseph do? He decides, I don't know what God's plan is here. I'm just going to honor him. I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. And what does Joseph do? He puts his hands to the plow and he just gets to work. He's honoring God. He's pleasing God. And as a result, God blesses Potiphar and all of his household. But things, unfortunately, don't stay easy for Joseph. Look down with me at verse number 7. Verse 7, it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph. And he said, and she said, lie with me. But he refused and said unto the master wife, Behold, my master was not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee. Because thou art his wife, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Verse 10, And it came to pass, as she spake to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business, and there was none of the men of the house there within. And she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. This, this is a righteous man. This is a godly man. Honoring God with his life, pleasing him. Potiphar's wife comes, tries to seduce him. And what does Joseph do? He does the righteous thing. He, he flees. He gets out of there. Leaves a coat in her hands. I'm out. But many of you know the story. How does that end up for Joseph? He isn't honored with that. He isn't elevated to a greater position. He isn't given more authority because he has pleased the Lord. But instead, he's dishonored. Look with me down to verse number 13. And it came to pass when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and was fled forth that she called unto the men of her house and spake unto them, saying, See, he hath brought in in Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in unto me to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice. And it came to pass when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled and got him out. He is rewarded with lies, betrayal, and ultimately imprisonment. Again, think with me for just a moment. If this were your life, how would you be responding at this point? I know how I would like to respond, but would you respond in this fashion, as Joseph has, continuing to honor God with his life? How many would go through the betrayal of family like he did? Some of you in this room, you've, you have been betrayed by family, and you know how much that hurts. But to be betrayed in a fashion like Joseph did, there's probably not many in this room that have experienced that kind of betrayal. Some may have, but probably not very many. But Joseph has gone through the ringer, hasn't he? But yet he's still pleasing the Lord. I don't know about you, but if you've been in a situation even remotely similar to that, have you ever been tempted to ask God, where are you? Again, what are you doing? What's the bigger picture here? Nothing at this point has gone to plan for Joseph. Nothing. Nothing at all. Not from Joseph's standpoint. And we understand because we have all of the Bible, we understand we have the bigger picture, but from Joseph's vantage point, nothing has gone to plan. All of us have plans, don't we? We have, we have goals. We have ambitions. We have things we'd, we'd like to see accomplish in your life and in your family's life and this ministry and your church family. 
But what if you went through a lengthy season where nothing goes to plan and seemingly everything is going wrong? Where is God? You made the promise, but you have forgotten me. At least that's the way it seems. So Joseph goes into prison. What happens next? Well, Joseph, just like he did in Potiphar's house, he seeks to honor the Lord. He, he gets himself in a position where he's given a role within the prison, and he's faithful. He meets the baker and the butler, and then they have dreams, don't they? they don't, they're troubled. They don't know what the interpretation of these dreams are. And so then Joseph then proceeds to give them the interpretation. And what does Joseph ask? Do you remember what he asked them? He asked them one thing. Don't forget about me. Look with me there in Genesis 39, down in verse number 14. Or excuse me, no, uh, chapter 40 in verse number 14. But he says, But think on me when it shall be well with thee, and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and bring me out of this house. He's interpreted his dreams. He told the baker, things aren't going to end well for you. You're going to be decapitated and hung. Uh, but butler, you're going to be restored to your position. You're going to go back into Pharaoh's court. Please don't forget about me. Skip down to verse number 23. Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forgot him. You may speculate Joseph probably spent more than five years in prison. How many years have transpired between the time he was betrayed by his own family, sold into slavery, served in Potiphar's house, un unjustly lied about, then imprisoned, sat in prison, got himself a position, some influence, interpreted the dream. Years later, the butler still has forgotten all about Joseph. See, it's out of suffering that God often will advance his own. It's out of suffering that God will bring growth in our lives. To prepare a person from the secular perspective for an administrative role like Joseph would have, what would we do? We'd send people to the brightest schools that we can think of. But what did God do with Joseph? He didn't do that. Instead, he sent Joseph to the school of affliction. Have you ever been through the Lord's schooling? Do you ever feel like, Lord, I, I, I think I've learned a lesson. Could this be it for now? I, I would imagine, at least in my mind, I think, well, maybe Joseph at some point felt that way. Lord, I've, I've, I've been learning a lot about patience, a lot about waiting. Can maybe this lesson be completed and be over? Joseph could have, I wonder if he would have suspected that night as he peeled his head in prison. Maybe this will be the last night. Tomorrow, everything is going to change. We don't know what went through his mind. But one thing I do suspect about suspect is while the butler had forgotten all about Joseph, Joseph didn't know if he would ever remember him. Can I remind you, God never forgot about Joseph. He knew exactly where he was. When Joseph interpreted the dreams of the butler and the baker, he probably had been in prison again at least five years. And while the butler did forget about him, God never did. If you were in his shoes, would you have wondered if this really could have been God's plan? Is this, is this part of his process? Is this really how God's going to orchestrate all of this? Again, from my vantage point, I'd like to think, yes, I'd respond like Joseph, but in all reality, I think I would really be struggling at this point. How, how is this ever going to come to fruition? What do you suppose would have happened to Joseph if he left the prison two years earlier? What if Potiphar said, you know what, I, I've talked to my servants and they don't believe my wife's story. I'm just going to go ahead and get rid of her. I'm going to replace you. I'm going to bring you back into my household. What would have happened? 
Probably something very different. But God had a plan. And my friend, regardless of what you're going through tonight, what you might go through tomorrow, next week, next month, can I remind you, if you understand, if you recognize, if you will filter everything through the lens that we serve a providential God, my friend, it'll bring a level of peace and comfort that nothing else can bring. So even while the circumstances of life may not be ideal, you can have peace and you can have joy knowing and recognizing that my God is a providential God. That even when I can't understand, even when I can't see all the pieces working about for God's plan to be accomplished, I know that to be the case. Again, God's plan is now beginning to take shape. He's in prison. And then what happens? Well, the butler begins to imagine Pharaoh's dreamed two dreams, or he's dreamed a dream, rather, and what happens? He brings all of his magicians in. None of them can interpret the dream, and they begin to get rather desperate. How much pressure do you think those magicians were under? You think the Pharaoh was very patient with them as they were not able to provide an interpretation for him? I imagine things at this point in Pharaoh's court was a little tense. I would imagine the magicians and everyone there in his court, they were a little stressed, Because when Pharaoh got stressed, when Pharaoh got angry, when he wasn't sleeping well, it was probably havoc on everybody else. All this is taking place. And then we pick up, look with me, Genesis 41, down verse number 9. I like to imagine what this scene would have looked like. Do you ever try to picture it in your mind? you ever wish we could watch a a video or be a fly on the wall and and, and watch all of this unfold? Genesis 41, look with me, down to verse number 9. It says, Then spake the chief butler unto the Pharaoh, saying, I do remember my faults this day. Pharaoh was wroth with his servants and put me in, inward in the captain of the guard's house, both me and the chief baker. And we dreamed a dream in one night, I and he, and we dreamed each man according to the interpretation of his dream. And there was, there with us a young man in Hebrew, servant to the captain of the guard. And we told him, and he interpreted, and we told him, and, and he interpreted to us our dreams to each man according to his dream, and he did interpret And it came to pass, as he interpreted to us, so it was, me he restored unto mine office, and him he hanged. Again, I I like to imagine this scene and what it looked like. The the chief butler over there has been stressed, worried about everything, and he overhears Pharaoh talking about the magicians. they got one more shot. Heads are going to start to roll if you guys don't figure this thing out. He says, wait a minute, I I know someone that can interpret this dream. I've forgotten all about him. He's, He's there in the prison house. Again, I wonder what was going through Pharaoh's mind. I wonder what was going through Joseph's mind. But here, after years of forgetfulness, the butler remembers. Now, while we couldn't easily see, or Joseph at least wouldn't have been able to easily see God's providential hand at work at this point, from this point forward, that's all we can see. We begin to see all the pieces come together to bring about his will. If we're honest, many times we struggle not because there is no answer, or because God can't work, but many times we wonder if we will do it in our case. Will he fulfill his promises in, in my life? The answer is always yes. You may not see him at work, but we have to learn to trust him. Why? Because he's a providential God. And I hope and I pray that whatever you are facing tonight, what you might face next week, next month, that you'll remember, that you'll filter life's circumstances through the reality that we serve a God that is providential and that he is providentially at work in each one of our lives. Number two, we see the infinite wisdom of God. If you look with me down, Genesis 41, beginning in verse number 14. 
Genesis 14 says, Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon, and he shaved himself and changed his raiment and came in unto Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I dreamed a dream, and there is none that can interpret it. And I have heard say of thee that thou canst understand a dream to interpret it. Not only did Joseph claim that he personally had no ability. Notice his response in verse 16. Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, it is not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Joseph said, I I can't do this. So not only did he not credit himself with the ability to interpret this dream, then he insults Pharaoh. He says, it's only God that can understand this. You have to understand in this day, Pharaoh was understood to be as a God. What a bold statement to make to somebody that literally has your life in the balance. He can take your life or spare your life. Joseph says, not only am I not capable of interpreting this dream in of myself, but it is only God, almighty God, that can do this work. I find it interesting as we examine the whole picture of this. What has God used to, to bring about his will? What has God used to bring about putting Joseph into this position? Has it been a divine miracle working scenario? No. At this point, it's been rather natural means. Ultimately, God used a man's dream. He used a woman's lies. He used a brother's envy. He used a butler's forgetfulness. Rarely does God use grand, miraculous displays of power. He can, and there are times which he does. But that's not always the case. I like what John Phillips says. He said, God usually brings his purpose to pass by such normal and natural means that only the eye of faith can see that he's been at work at all. Only when I, when I filter life's circumstances through faith, then I can recognize, then I can see God has been at work. And in his wisdom, he's been orchestrating all of these events. And in any of them themselves, the events may seem to be totally out of control. But that's our all-knowing, wise God orchestrating all of these pieces to come together. Do you remember what Hebrews 11 verse 6 says? But without faith it is impossible to please Him. If you find yourself, again, in this season of difficulty, in a season of, Lord, I, I can't see the whole picture, can I challenge you with remembering that we serve a God of infinite wisdom? It's only by faith that we see the wisdom of God. And apart from faith, it appears to be nothing less than foolishness. Just happenstance. And that couldn't be further from the truth. So remember, without faith, it's impossible to please Him. It's not difficult. It is impossible. So we see first the providential hand of God. We see the infinite wisdom of God. And then number three, we see the settled will of God. The settled will of God. If you look with me at chapter 41 and verse number 25. Verse 25 says, And Joseph said unto Pharaoh, The dream of Pharaoh is one. God hath showed Pharaoh what he is about to do. Then seven good kind are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dream is one. So God has revealed to Joseph and now to Pharaoh what he is about to do. And just as God had planned for Joseph to learn through suffering, God's plan was now to exalt Joseph to the position he spoke about in his dream. But just a few short hours ago, where was Joseph? He was sitting in a prison cell. What probably appeared like no hope. But we serve a providential God. We serve a God with infinite wisdom. 
And so here Joseph, in just a few short hours, he goes from being in a place of least influence, of least authority, to now, in just a few, in another few hours, he's going to be second command. He's going to be one of the most powerful men in all the world at this point in history. Only God can do that. Look down verse, uh, chapter 41, verse 28 and verse 29. 28 says, This then is the thing which I have spoken unto Pharaoh. What God is about to do, he showeth unto Pharaoh. Behold, there come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. Again, you know the story. You know the account. He's told they're going to have seven years of plenty. And then after that, they're going to experience seven years of famine. Ultimately, if Egypt does not prepare, if they're not ready, it is going to wreak havoc on the nation. So what does Joseph challenge him to do? Well, look with me down at verse number 33. It says, Now therefore let Pharaoh look out a man discreet and wise and set him over all the land of Egypt. Humbly, he says, Pharaoh, if you're going to get through this, you just need to pick someone that's demonstrated wisdom, that's demonstrated discretion, and as you do so, put him over the authority of all the land. Look down at verse number 37. Verse 37 says, And the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of his servants. And Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this is, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? What a testimony. Again, I, I hope... I, most of you are probably very familiar with this passage. I hope the familiarity with it doesn't create a complacency in your heart to, to miss what God has done through the life of Joseph. In spite of all the negative, the difficult, the valley, the season that Joseph has gone through, what kind of attitude, what kind of testimony has Joseph maintained throughout all of it? One that the Spirit of God rests in. And boy, what a challenge to you and I that, yes, we will go through the fire. Yes, we'll go through periods of persecution. We will go through periods where all the pieces and all the puzzles, it doesn't quite make sense. I don't understand exactly what God is doing, but in this moment, my responsibility, Lord, I want to be faithful to you. I, I want to honor you in this. And, and even if I, I don't understand what the next step is going to be for me, I just want to be faithful. I want to be pleasing to God. I want to honor Him with my life. You understand, the will of God was ultimately, it was already settled. There's no compromise in this. Aren't you thankful we serve a sovereign God? And what God has declared to be so, it is so. Now, I'm thankful that we have a God that is capable, He's powerful, that He will work in conjunction with you and I, or in spite of you and I. His will will be accomplished. Well, I'm thankful for that. And when I pillow my head at night and I think about the unrest in our, in our globe, we, I saw on the screens before the service started, pray for Ukraine. Many of you, you've probably seen the imageries and some of the videos and you, you see what's going on. We have a missionary in Romania that we've been sending money to as they're, they're bringing thousands of pounds of food to some of these people that are fleeing Ukraine as they've been pushed out of their homes. They have nothing to bring with them. Children are sleeping on dirt floors, and, and some of them are lucky enough to get a little piece of carpet like this to lay on top of. And when, you, when, you, when you see those sorts of things, when you read or you watch the news and what's taking place in and around your city and in and around our country, and you, all, the, all the chaos in our world, man, I can pillow my head at night and know God's will is, it's already settled. He's already determined what's going to happen. He already knows what your life holds for tomorrow and next week and next month. And he knows the same for this church. He already knows what's going to happen next Sunday night. He already knows what the future is going to look like for Open Bible Baptist Church. Aren't you thankful for that? Well, that, that can give us peace. That can give us confidence. That can give us assurance as we press on day by day. 
the settled will of God. Now, I wonder sometimes as all this begins to unfold for Joseph, what, what the next several days looked like. I wonder what Joseph did. I wonder if he went to the prison house. I want to go there. Now, again, he's second in command here, essentially. I want to go to the, the prison. The, 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 the keeper of the prison there was kind to me. Maybe he wants to go to Potiphar's house and get his name cleared with the other servants. Can you imagine supper that evening as Potiphar got home and he hears about what Joseph has been elevated to, the position that he's been placed in, that he's going to be uh, head over all the land of Egypt. Only, only God can do this. Again, examining and, and, and meditating on, on all the circumstances, on all the details, well, I, I hope you have a settled and comforted heart knowing who our God is. Uh, he's a providential God that even when you can't see it, even when you can't understand it, He's at work. And we just need to learn to trust that. I'm thankful that when you and I can't make sense of it all, we have a God of infinite wisdom. He can. When we can't see his hand, when we can't understand it all, well, we just learn to trust in him and praise the Lord that his will is already settled. He will accomplish his will. He will see to that. So God's now brought Joseph through the valley, but not without purpose. Go with me to Genesis chapter 50 and verse number 20. Genesis 50, verse number 20. He says, But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. Well, his, his brothers, they, they meant to inflict pain, to hurt Joseph as much as they possibly could. And what does Joseph do? With godly wisdom, he recognizes, you sinned, you did evil, but in spite of that, God still accomplished his will. God still was able to even use that brokenness, the sinfulness of mankind to put me into the position that he had planned to spare many, many, many people. Aren't you thankful that when you go through suffering, when you go through a period of confusion, that it isn't without purpose. It's not just, well, this is just life. There's a reason behind it. I want you to go with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 17. Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17. No matter what I endure, no matter what I'll go through today, tomorrow, next month, no matter what the world looks like, no matter what the United States government looks like, no matter what our economy looks like, no matter what the outcome of you know, the vote you all will take next week or the months proceeding after that, no matter, no matter those circumstances, we can understand, we could rest at peace knowing that when God does do something similar in our lives like he did with Joseph, there is a reason for it. There's a purpose behind it. 2 Corinthians 4, look with me down at verse 17. He says, for our light affliction. Does it ever feel light to you? Sometimes it feels heavy. But from an eternal perspective, notice our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Does it ever feel like it's never going to end? It's just going to go on and on and on. It is but for a moment. Well, there are some people I've known over the years that 
Their life was difficult from the time they were a child to the time they died. But what does James tell us about our life? It is but a vapor. And then it's gone. It's over. And then we have eternity. He says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. When, when God does bring us through the school of affliction, it's not without purpose. But rather, God does have a plane in this. He does have something that's going to yield eternal weight, eternal glory. Verse 18, while we look not at the things which are seen. How many of you would like to be able to see and know all the details in your life and be able to understand everything that God's doing and why He's doing that? Paul says, we don't look at that. We don't look at the things which are seen, but rather at the things that are not seen. Why? For the things which are seen, they're temporal. They're here for a moment and then they're gone. So instead, we look at the things which are not seen, but they're eternal. That's what matters. And so, once more, whatever you're facing tonight, whatever you may face next week, kind of remind you there's an eternal purpose and reason for that suffering you may go through. And as you go through it, as you go through that season of unsurety that I can rest knowing I have a providential hand, of God at work in my life, that I have a God of infinite wisdom, and I have a God that His will is already settled. A time is a, an obscure thing when you really take a few moments and begin to think about it, especially in light of God and all of eternity. You try to explain eternity to a five-year-old. It's a difficult conversation because it's a concept you and I can't fully grasp ourselves. Well, how has God always been there? He just has, and He always will be. And I'm thankful that in whatever happens in our life, there's a purpose and there's an eternal value behind it. So I want to ask you one question tonight, and then I'll be finished. Would you rather have a strong faith or an easy life? Because you rarely, if ever, will have a strong faith and an easy life. You remember back beginning of March of 2020 when everything cut loose and it was chaos there for quite a while. We didn't know what in the world was going on, how things were going to pan out. During the beginning of that, I think like most everybody else, I was kind of grasping at, Lord, what, what do you want to do here? What are you trying to do here? And I wish I could say I've always had this perspective. I don't. But in that particular season, I told the Lord, whatever you need to bring in my life, whatever disruption needs to take place, and like, like most ministry leaders, we had no idea what the future of our church was going to look like, how this was going to impact our church family, what this was going to, I had no idea what it was going to impact to, to my job and my capability of providing for my family, the health of our family, the vitality of our family. I don't know. I said, Lord, whatever you need to do in my life, whatever you need to bring into my life to, to do the work that you need to do, I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to have you bring that in. Again, I wish I could say I, I always have that perspective, but I want to ask you tonight, do you? Would you have that perspective? Would you rather have a strong faith or an easy life? I think you know the correct answer. The biblical answer would be to have a strong faith. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask Tyler to come on up, and, uh, and he'll close out our service. Lord, I thank you for your word again tonight, and I thank you for... The, the peace, the, the comfort, the strength, the, the confidence, the assurance that comes when we rest in ultimately who you are. And God, as we've looked at the life of Joseph, 
and what you brought him through and what you accomplished in and through his life. Uh, I pray for those tonight that are perhaps in a season similar to that, maybe in a season where they, they haven't quite understood uh, exactly what you're looking to accomplish, maybe where your hand isn't clearly seen at work in their lives. I pray for those that are dealing with circumstances that just don't make sense. And on this side of eternity, they may never have the answers. Lord, for those that are wrestling with how are you going to do your work, how are you going to accomplish your plan amidst the circumstances that they're facing this evening, I pray that as they dwell on you and on your word and who you are, Lord, they would be strengthened. I pray they would be encouraged. And Lord, I pray they would be emboldened to live faithfully and to put their hands to the plow and work for you and for your kingdom. Uh, Lord, for those that may be here tonight that don't know you as their personal Savior, I do pray uh, for them tonight that the Spirit would not let them rest, Lord, until they settle that issue with you. And perhaps there's one here this evening, we ask that before they leave tonight, they would get that matter, matter settled. Uh, but again, Lord, we pray for uh, ultimately your will being accomplished tonight in our service, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for watching us online today. If you haven't done so already, please fill out a digital connection card so we know how to better serve you this week. For encouragement throughout your week, you can listen to past sermons by searching Open Bible Baptist Church on the Apple Podcast or Google Play Store. If you'd like to give today, you could give online at openbiblenj.org. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you on the next broadcast.